Over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've been, well, actually, we, we just got started the last couple of weeks. We've been spending some time with Jonah, and it's, it's been quite an adventure so far, and we've only got through the first chapter. But a lot has happened just in that one short chapter in the book of Jonah. Uh, we met this prophet who was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, a city renowned for its wickedness. And so Jonah got up, and he didn't go to Nineveh. He went to Joppa, a seaport, in order to catch a ship to get away from the presence of God, going to Tarshish, which is probably, for them, the, the end of the world. He was going as far away as he could possibly get from the call of God in his life. Now, that was not a smart move for Jonah, and it's not a smart move for us. Running from the call of God on our lives, trying to get away from the presence of God, can I just tell you, it didn't work. It didn't work for Jonah. It won't work for us. Well, we continue on with Jonah's story, and we see that he got on this ship, and he began to set sail, and uh, he went downstairs to catch a little sleep. But while he was there, God hurled a storm into the sea. Now, this was no ordinary storm. This is an absolutely storm of the century kind of thing that's blowing now in the Mediterranean. And it was so bad that these seasoned sailors were absolutely terrified And they began to throw the cargo overboard. Now, you need to understand, that was how they were going to make their money. So they're throwing their, their, really their livelihood. They're taking every chance that they can get to to try to keep the ship afloat. So they're throwing everything overboard. And in the midst of trying to go down and get more stuff, they find Jonah asleep. The captain tells him to get up and to pray. There's no indication in chapter 1 that Jonah does that. And finally, they end up trying to figure out who's to blame for all this because obviously somebody did it. And so they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and he finally says, okay, it's me. Guys, I'm guilty. This storm's my fault. He tells them who he is and and, and why they're in the predicament they're in. And he says, if you want to save yourself, throw me overboard, and God will calm the seas down, and, and and it'll save you guys. Well, they actually showed a little little backbone they showed a little character and they said you know what we're, we're going to try to get you back to land we're going to try to make your god happy by getting you back where you started from so that uh you know everybody will be happy and everything will be fine and we can just forget this whole thing happened but god made the storm get worse and so they decided okay the only way we're going to survive this thing is to do what you told us to do they cast jonah into the sea but that of course isn't the end of the story Because at the very end of the story, we're told that God had prepared a great fish to come and to swallow up Jonah and to keep him from drowning. Now, on board, these pagan sailors were actually worshiping the Lord. A revival had broken out on board the ship that he had just left. And so that's kind of where we left things last week. And I want us to pick up there. We're actually going to go back into chapter 1 to pick up verse 17. And we're going to read all the way through chapter 2, Jonah's Jonah's time uh, in the belly of the fish. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll invite you to open up to Jonah, the end of chapter 1, and then we will work through chapter 2 together. So let's hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of the grave, I 
cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, and the roots at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard, regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then in verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Some of you had no idea we'd be talking about fish vomit this morning, but this is very special. We don't normally do that. There are lots of things in here, but uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to very quickly give you four truths that we can draw from this, and then... I want us to take a step actually beyond Jonah a little bit this morning because I think it's important for us. And so let me share these with you in your notes this morning. If you're taking notes, these are written down. You can kind of fill in the blanks uh, at that point. The first truth is this. It is only after being swallowed by the fish that Jonah prays. It's only after he's swallowed by the fish that Jonah prays. Now, remember, in the story, God came to him and he said, okay, I've got this assignment for you. Jonah said, I think I'll decline that. I'm running away. And he took off. And there's no indication at any point in chapter 1 that he's praying at all. Even when the captain comes down and drags him out and says, hey, man, wake up and pray. There's no indication that Jonah prays. And we look at this and we go, well, that's kind of foolish. He's a prophet. He, he knows who God is. Certainly he should have been praying all along. But he's also a human being. And unfortunately, we are quite like him because sometimes it takes us getting in the belly of the fish, hitting the bottom of the barrel before we finally turn our eyes up and look to God. Sometimes we wait until the worst of circumstances has come upon us and we can't get any lower. And it's then we think about, well, maybe I ought to pray. And here's what I want to share with you this morning. That's, you can pray then, but you know what? You can also pray when you're on the way down. And you can pray when you're on top. You can pray when you're on the way up. You don't have to wait until you're at the bottom of the barrel, until you're at the end of the rope, until you're in the belly of the fish to pray. God is waiting to listen even now, regardless of where you are. The second truth we find here is that Jonah understands that he is where he is by his choice and by God's sovereignty. If you read through this, I mean, it's pretty easy to understand that Jonah got himself in the mess he was in by his decisions, okay? He did that. Just like you and I find ourselves where we are based on decision after decision after decision that we've made that led us to the point where we are. Some good decisions, some bad decisions. But we are, as one person said, the sum total of the decisions we've made. However, however, Jonah is showing us a little bit behind the curtain. Because you see, even though Jonah was, was running from God, even though Jonah was making his decisions, even though Jonah was going where he was going to go and doing what he was wanting to do, it wasn't as if God was sitting up there going, Oh, I didn't know he'd do that. I didn't expect that. 
Man, what am I going to do now? No. It wasn't that God was pulling the strings, but God was setting the course. And you need to understand that regardless of what kind of decisions you've made in your life, and no matter where those decisions have led you, God is not standing in the background going, well, I guess I can't do anything about this. He can. Because he's a sovereign God with absolute and utter power. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life, even if you're bound and determined to mess it up. The third truth we find in here is that Jonah expressed gratitude for his immediate salvation and hope that his deliverance would be complete. In other words, he was grateful that God saved him from drowning by sending that little, you know, sea taxi, the big fish, to pick him up. But he also says, but you know what? I will make my sacrifice. He's looking beyond now to where God was taking him. And you need to understand, no matter where you are now, that God has some place he wants to take you. There is hope. Even when it feels hopeless, there's hope. The fourth truth I want to pull out of this is this. And you go, wow, you're going through this awfully fast. We'll be out of here quick. Not quite. Ironically, Jonah acknowledges the undeserved mercy that he was shown by the Lord, a mercy he feared would also be shown to the undeserving Ninevites. It's here in the belly of the fish, after he's been saved, this runaway prophet, this rebellious prophet, after God has saved him from drowning in these treacherous seas, he's thankful for it. He's grateful for it. He is so glad God showed mercy on him. And what's so crazy is, he didn't want that same mercy to be extended to the people of Nineveh. There's a blindness, a spiritual blindness about him where he is more than happy to receive the mercy of God but not so excited about sharing it with people that he doesn't think deserves it. And that kind of sets the table for where we're going for the rest of this morning. I want us to dig a little deeper. And to do that, we're going to have to look at two passages of Scripture that are not even in the Old Testament. It's not even part of the story of Jonah. But they're significant for us because they actually help us to understand the gospel of Jonah. In a a sense, this is kind of the gospel of Jonah, the gospel according to Jonah. So we want to see where God is leading us here. Now, a lot of times we draw a hard and fast line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is that kind of dry and dusty book with weird names. The New Testament, a little bit more, you know, I can get in with this, a lot of stories, a lot of parables, sounds, sounds pretty good. So we draw this line and we say over here, oh, the Old Testament, this book is about law. The New Testament, though, this book over here is about love. The Old Testament, now this, this book over here tells us about a God of justice. And the New Testament tells us about a God of grace. Well, there's a real problem with that. Because the Old Testament and New Testament aren't two separate stories about, with two separate themes about two different gods. The Old Testament is one story about one glorious God and his fallen creation and the extent that God will go to to bring his fallen creation back to himself. From Genesis to 
to Revelation, it is one story. One story. And at the heart of that story is a God of mercy. So stick with me on this. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4. I know that's all. You've got to flip all the way to the right in order to, to get to that. Mark chapter 4. At least it's one of the Gospels. should be easier to find, right? We're going to look at a few verses here, verses 35 to 41, because I think this will help us to understand a little bit more of this story and what I mean when I say this is the Gospel according to Jonah. This story may feel a little familiar to you as we read it. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side, that is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they they took him with them in the boat just as they were, and the other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And when you lay the story of Jonah, chapter 1 especially, right next to this story, there are a lot of similarities that you see. Well, first of all, both Jonah and Jesus were in boats. That's simple, unremarkable in many ways. But then you notice both Jonah and Jesus were in boats that encountered incredibly vicious storms. And in both stories, the storm that they were in was about to sink the boat that they were on. Both Jonah and Jesus were sound asleep. In circumstances where you look at it and go, how can anybody sleep through that? They were both sound asleep. Both stories have terrified passengers, sailors, who are waking up the sleeper, asking them to do something. And in both cases, the sea was miraculously calm. A lot of similarities. There's one striking difference. In the story of Jonah, Jonah tells the sailors, hey, if you, if you, to save yourselves, you need to sacrifice me. If you're going to live, I'm going to have to die. And Jonah was tossed into the sea, expecting that's fully what would happen. But that's not what happens in this story in Mark's gospel. We don't see Jesus saying, hey, guys, just throw me in and everything will be fine. So is there any correlation? Is there any stipulation? Remember, it's all one story. Let's take a look at one more piece of that story in Matthew's gospel, the 12th chapter. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. This one's not taking place on the water, but Jesus mentions Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now by itself, you may go, what does this have to do with Mark? We can see what it might have to do with Jonah, but, but why are you tying all these, these, these pieces together? Remember, we have one God who's continually trying to reveal himself and his ways and his purposes to humanity. It's one story. We see Jesus showing his power over creation in the boat, and he did it by command. Stand up. Stop. And the sea stopped. He showed his power over creation. It was conquering by command. But Jesus did not simply come to conquer by command. Listen, he came to conquer by sacrifice. A completely alien thought to humanity. He did not come to conquer by command. He came to conquer by sacrifice. What does he say? He says something greater than Jonah is here. Guys, you read that story and you're impressed by this story of Jonah and how God took this wayward prophet and he saved him by bringing bring about this, this special fish to swallow him up. And guys, you're, you're all impressed by that and, and you got Jonah's tomb and, and you're all excited about that, but there's something greater than Jonah here. There's someone greater than Jonah here. Jonah's the story of a, a prophet and a wicked city and a big fish. But more than anything, it's the, it's the story of a merciful God. Jonah points, Jesus says, to something greater. It's not just there's an interesting story to tell your kids at night before they go to bed. It's pointing forward to something greater. It's one story. Pointing forward to someone greater and to a greater salvation. Jonah was a reluctant servant. Jesus was a willing servant. Jonah ran from the call of God. Jesus embraced the call of God on his life. Jonah didn't fully comprehend the mercy of the Father towards the wicked. Jesus knew the mercy of God because Jesus was a personification of the mercy of the Father. Jonah didn't board the ship expecting to have himself sacrificed, but Jesus expressly came. His purpose was to lay down his life for those who were sinners. The salvation that Jonah brought was temporary. The salvation that Jesus brings is eternal. Jonah was shown mercy, but didn't want to show mercy. Jesus was shown no mercy, so that the mercy of God might be for sinners like you and me. See, here's what I want you to know this morning. Don't, don't get lost in the story. It's a true story. It's a real story. It's a real prophet. And this is, a, this is a real adventure he is on. But listen, don't get lost in the story and miss what's behind it. It took me a while 
I've been living with Jonah now for about three years. No, he didn't move into my house after he got back from Nineveh. But it feels like it. I've been, in, in, been living with Jonah, been working with Jonah, been reading Jonah, been studying Jonah. And what I come to understand, it's not a book about Jonah. It's a book about God and his mercy for people like us, for people like those in Nineveh and Las Vegas. Baghdad, Riyadh, even in those ISIS camps. He's a God of mercy. And we here in the United States, because our lives have really been relatively easy, reading this morning in the book of Hebrews as, as he's writing in chapter 10, the end of chapter 10. And, 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 and the writer of Hebrews is just saying, listen, some of you guys have suffered so much and you joyfully lost your possessions in order to be faithful to Christ. And when you saw your fellow believers suffering, you not only were sympathetic toward them, you went to stand with them in their suffering. We don't, listen, we don't know much about that. We don't know much about that kind of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why we don't understand and can't embrace this mercy of God. The Bible is one story. It's a story about a great God and His mercy towards sinful men and women. Not just like Jonah, not just like the Ninevites, but like you and like me and like your neighbors and like your co-workers and like your fellow students. And listen, here's what I want you to know about mercy. This, listen, if you don't get anything out of this, listen, listen, listen. Here's what I want you to know about mercy. Mercy is undeserved. Mercy is undeserved. Jonah didn't deserve it. The Ninevites didn't deserve it. The only one who deserved mercy was Jesus. And he abandoned it so that mercy might be poured out on us. Jonah, oh, Jonah celebrated God's mercy on him. Oh, yes, Lord, let it rain on me. Yes, sir. But he wasn't real excited about God showing mercy to people he didn't think deserved it all the time blind to the fact that he didn't deserve it any more than they did. And that's the beautiful thing about mercy. It is undeserved. It's what Jonah found in the belly of the fish. It's, not, it, it, it's what he wanted to withhold from the Ninevites. And as I told you in sermon number one, you and I are Jonah. We can be just like him. Some of you here this morning, you're thinking, you know what, Pastor, you don't understand my life. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I've suffered. You don't understand how far I have wandered away from Jesus. You just, you don't know what I've done. 
Oh, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't be standing up there talking about mercy. You'd be standing up there talking about judgment. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's something greater here than judgment. Mercy. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how much you've got hiding behind that door in the heart, in your closet, door to the closet of your heart, no matter, there's mercy. The Bible doesn't say, hey, after you got yourself cleaned up from your sins, Christ died for you. No. This is why you were still in your sins. While you were still there, hopeless, helpless, not deserving mercy, Christ died for you. He died for you knowing the person you are and were and will be. He still died for you. You know, occasionally uh, we, ha- we have opportunities to, to help people in need, some inside the church, some in our community. And there are times, let's, let's be honest, there are times that we do that and it's a beautiful thing, and they're grateful and appreciative, and it really helps them. And there are times when we do that, and they're not grateful. And there are times that we do that, and it's not appreciated. And then I look at that, and I get so mad about it, and then I remember, wait a minute, we do the same thing to God. If it's deserved, it's not mercy either from God or from us. Some of you here came here this morning needing mercy. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to get yourself straightened out first. You don't have to turn over that new leaf first. First you come and you acknowledge your unworthiness. God, I don't deserve from you your love. I don't deserve it. You don't owe me anything. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve your mercy. I've done nothing to earn it. Nothing that you should, should shower me with this blessing. I, I, I really, I, I don't deserve it. We come admitting our unworthiness before God and we throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. And when we do, we discover that judgment has already been passed. The price has already been paid. Jesus died in our place so that we might stand in the presence of the Father. Some of you needed to hear that this morning. Because you've been a long, long way from God. You've been wallowing in your guilt. And Satan is like rubbing salt in the wounds, just telling you every day just how bad you are, how unworthy you are. And here's what I want you to say. Just come up and say, Satan, you're right. You're right. I am unworthy. But there's a God who will show me mercy. And I'm entrusting myself into his hands. For some of you, you've experienced that mercy. Like Jonah, you've got a little piece of that mercy. And you recognize that, you know what? God hadn't abandoned me after all. And 
Even though I've done all this, God is still looking after me. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Let me go to church Sunday and, and sing some praises to him and put some money in the offering plate. But that neighbor across the street, that kid who sits across the room in your class, That coworker, that fellow church member, you love the mercy God's shown you, but you're not so excited about showing mercy to them. You can't do that. You can't. Your humanity won't let you do that. But God in you will. When you come to understand and embrace the mercy of God in your own life, what you have been forgiven Though you were dead in your sins, he's made you alive in Christ Jesus. So you were blind, he has now given you spiritual sight. Though you were lost, he searched you and searched for you and found you. You didn't deserve it. He just loved you that much. When you come to understand and embrace that, when you begin to look at other people who don't deserve the mercy of God, don't deserve your mercy, it begins to change your heart. There's some of you who may just need to come before the Lord today and say, Lord, would you give me a heart like yours? Would you give me a love like yours? Would you give me a mercy like yours? Because right now, God, I don't have it. You're not going to surprise God. He knows it already. But wouldn't it be great to walk away from here today with a heart more full of love, more full of grace, more full of mercy, and an opportunity to rebuild something that's been broken for a long, long, long time. It's not just the book of Jonah. That's a book about the mercy of God. It's this whole thing. And this morning, I invite you, if you need the mercy of God in your life. If you need a new beginning, a new start, if you need to know forgiveness, then I invite you to come and to find it in Christ. And if you need to be filled with mercy so that your life can overflow, then I ask you to come and just ask the Lord, God, would you do in me what I cannot do for myself? Would you change my heart and change my mind so that I can be a person of mercy? Not just who's received it, but who gives it. That's a God thing. And the good news, he's willing to do it today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I do thank you so much that you continue to speak to us through this word. And not just through adventure stories like Jonah or adventure stories like David, or adventure stories like 
Samson. We like to hear those things, God. We, we like to hear those stories. We like to relish in them and, and join in with the excitement. But you're not, Lord, just trying to entertain us. You're trying to change us. Lord, if there are those who need to experience your mercy by confessing their sin and being embraced by the Savior, Lord, let today be their day. If there are those, Lord, who would confess that they are unmerciful, unforgiving, harsh, judgmental, and sometimes even cruel, We want to have a new heart, Lord. Would you bring them just to lay down before you, to confess it all, to be broken before you so that you can remake them into a person that reflects your mercy and grace. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do, we don't want to be like Jonah. We don't want to get up and run the other way, Lord. We want to run to you. We want to say yes. This is our prayer this morning in the name of Jesus who makes all things possible. Amen. As we, say, as we stand together and sing this final song, if you need to respond to the Lord's leadership, then this is the time and this is the day.